All right, so if you missed out on last week or if you missed out on our Facebook post, we are doing a series um, all about parables. We're going to go through several of the parables of the Bible. We're not going to go through all of them because some people believe that there's uh, upwards of 100. So um, that would be an extremely long series, and you would lose us after about seven. But we're going to go over a handful, and we're going to pick some out that, that have a lot of context. We're going to pick some out that maybe we heard as kids, and maybe we skipped over, and we thought, oh, this has one central idea. But the, the truth is that hidden in a lot of these parables is a lot of truth that we can unpack through, con- through context. And so we talked about last week the reason for parables, right? We talked about how visual learning is an effective communication tool, not just in Bible times, not just in Scripture, but for us, right? We, we talked about the examples of elementary school and how we learn math and other subjects through visuals. We, we talked about some statistics um, about how 65% of people are mostly visual learners and how our brain processes visuals 60,000 times faster than our brain processes text. And, and we can talk about a ton more stats, but we don't have to because most of us in this room have gotten to a point where we needed to fix something, and instead of grabbing the manual, we went to YouTube, right? And we hoped that somebody else had had the same problem and made a video, and they could show us how to fix it because the manual is words and YouTube is watching. That computes in most of our brains, and we can see it, and we can understand it better when we see it. And so we know that visual learning is an effective form of communication, and since Jesus knows us and Jesus uh, knows his people then as well, he used these visual aids to help us understand many of the lessons that he taught, not just in parables, but many of the lessons that he taught. And so we're, we're taking the time to dig in um, to several of them. And we started last week with the parable um, where Christ painted more of a picture. It wasn't, it wasn't really like a movie, but it was more of a picture where he said that God is the gardener and that Christ himself is the vine and that we are the branches. And he painted this beautiful picture about the relationship that we have with him and with the Father. And if you want to go listen to that, just a slight uh, drop, you can go on our website or Facebook and all that stuff and find it. But you don't have to if you don't want to, I understand. Um, and so this week, moving on to another parable, we're going to talk about a parable found in Luke chapter 10. Um, and this is not so much of a still shot like what we talked about last week, but this almost, in my mind, plays more like a movie, right? We can all see it. It kind of plays like an old Western in our heads. And so we're going we're gonna to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And it says this, starting in 25. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And so one thing that's interesting about this parable comparative to the one that we talked about last week is that last week's was more of a lesson that Jesus was teaching to his disciples. It was kind of almost like a planned thing. But this week's parable is is spurred on by a question, right? And really, honestly, a question from an outsider, not in his group. It wasn't a disciple. It wasn't one of his 12 sitting among him. It was somebody outside of the group, and so we see Jesus use parables outside of just his people. And this expert is, is what we're going to call him because I'm not going to say expert in religion law the whole time. But this expert is someone that is married to the old law, right? If we look back at, at the context of Scripture and we see kind of what his job was, his job was to memorize and, and, and kind of put out the, the rules of the Old Testament, the rules of the Torah, all the rules 
of, of Moses that Moses got from God. And so he was an expert in it, right? He was a master in the law of the Old Testament. He was to, to memorize every bit and to hold people accountable in that. And so it's interesting that Jesus turns the question around on him because he says, you're asking me something about old law and you should know it. So Jesus turns the question back on him. And in verse 27, he says uh, that the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And I think it's funny right here because Jesus is almost like kind of giving him a, a little teaser, right? He's like, oh, that's it? Like, that's all I got to do? But Jesus knows that this man is too smart to take that and run with it because the man is questioning something specific. And so 29 says the man wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, then who is my neighbor? And so the expert in the law, being the expert that he is, he uses the Torah, he uses scripture to quote back to Jesus because he knows that Jesus isn't going to refute that, right? It's scripture, it's law, it's good. And his response to Jesus is actually a mixture of two Old Testament verses. It's Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And, and Deuteronomy 6.5 says this. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so these two verses that the expert quotes, they are they're decrees or they are official orders that are given to the Israelite people by Moses, right? Like these were laws. And this is what this man kind of spent his life work doing was understanding, memorizing, and enforcing these things. And so he knew them like the back of his hands and, and he conjoined them because he thought that was the most appropriate response to Christ. And, and he not only quoted them, but he probably quoted them confidently because he knew them, right? It was kind of a test. He was like, look, I, I do know this. Like this is, this is what your God that you are saying that you preach from says about this topic. And, and the law of the Old Testament, as we learn through scripture, is, is leaving us in many ways looking to God and knowing in a way that we are not perfect, right? All these laws and we can't be the fulfillment of every law. And so that's a big part of why this man is asking this question. He's saying, look, I've, I've devoted my life to these laws. I've devoted my memory to these laws and I'm still coming up short. I'm still not doing everything right. And so that's why he's asking Jesus this question. He's saying, look, there's got to be something more. And so when Jesus responds, confirming that he quoted the law correctly and saying that if you do this, you will live, the, the expert wanted to know exactly who to help. Because the law in the old times was almost like a you can or you can't do this, you can or you can't eat this. And so he's like, there's got to be an exact person that I need to help to be able to check off my list and say that I helped my neighbor. And if we read through context, we can know that this expert wasn't exactly just easy, eager to help anyone. He just wanted to justify himself, and he wanted to be able to check those things off of his list to inherit that eternal life. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And it seems like it's an easy question. It seems like we could probably just get up and, and leave now, but it's a big question. It's the question that Jesus felt a whole parable should be centered around. It's a question that Jesus led into many other conversations. And because Jesus knows our heart and he knows our dilemma in helping other people, he responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So we're going to read 30 through 37 of, of Luke 10. It starts like this. Jesus replied with a story. 
a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And then Jesus boils it all down into a question that he asks the expert in 36. He says, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the expert replies, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, Yes, now go and do the same. And so now even though this story was a parable that Jesus told to prove his point, this was a real-life position that somebody could be found in in this time. This was not far-fetched for somebody to see themselves in this situation where they're beat up and, and they're robbed and they're stuck on the side of the road. This took place many, many, many times in this area. And, and the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually traveled often because there was a market in Jericho where a lot of people went to. And so for somebody to find themselves traveling and, and traveling late, it, it wasn't irregular, it wasn't uncommon. And so this scenario is very realistic, and it can happen any day of the week, but, but that's not the important part of the, the parable. The important part of the parable is that Jesus is careful to point out the religious groups, the ethnic groups, and the classes of every character. In a lot of Jesus' stories, he doesn't always classify or characterize people by their religion or by their race or by their ethnicity or by their culture. But in this one, he does it clearly to make a point. He did it on purpose because back then, just like much of the world now, there's a lot of splits in between classes. There's a lot of splits in between races or, or social groups or academics or whatever. There's splits in religious groups and and, and political power and money positions and all of these things. And since these people in that time and us in this time were grouped and split like this, then many people felt like it was extremely taboo to go outside of their group or go outside of their people to help others. People didn't travel outside of their culture to go and help somebody else. I mean, they set whole communities aside for different religious groups. They set whole communities aside for people that were even sick. And so this was extremely normal for people to be segregated and split by their culture, by their race, by their class, by their power. And since they were grouped and they were split like this, Jesus saw this as an opportunity to teach not only about who your neighbor is, but also how to help anyone. And it's interesting how Jesus sets up these characters is that he doesn't use some normal Joe Blow. He doesn't use another Jewish person. He doesn't use somebody of high power to come and be the hero, he chooses a man that was a Samaritan. And that's significant because in this time, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. There was a lot of conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews. In fact, the Samaritans had gone and thrown a bunch of pig carcasses in the temple that the Jewish people were worshiping in, and so they were, they were not on the best of terms. They could text but probably not call, right? Like they didn't, they didn't just love each other at the time. And so Jesus sets up these characters, and, and he uses 
a, a specific person in the form of a Jewish person or in, in the form of a Samaritan because he knew that if there were any Jews in the crowd, they would, they would Im- immediately back off because this would pressure them to see somebody that they had despised their whole life in a different light. And so Jesus probably would not have started this parable whenever he was teaching to Jewish people by saying, and this I'm going to title the parable of the Good Samaritan because they would have said, time out, they can't, that's an oxymoron. A Samaritan can't be good and good can't have anything to do with a Samaritan. They hated each other. And so we see in the scene that the Jewish man is beat up, he's robbed, he's left for dead, and three different people come by the man. And so we're going to go and we're going to break down these three people starting in verse 31, the first person to pass by was a priest. And it says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. And now when we first see this, we can all kind of imagine in our mind that we're shaking our heads, right? Like a, like a priest, like a pastor. How could he even walk by this man and not just scoop him up and, and want to take him and do everything for him, right? We hold them to a higher standard. How could this happen? It's terrible. But if we look at it through the lens of a human being, and if we look at it through the lens of what Jesus is trying to teach us, many of us have responded the same way. Many of us have responded to a situation the same way that the priest responded. I'm certain, I know that I have. I I can think of instances where I've seen an issue and I've decided to walk the other way. This isn't exactly the same thing, but when I walk into Sam's and the window salesman's right there, I'm going the other direction. Like, I will go in the outdoor to get away from the window salesman. And it's not the same thing, but whenever we think about situations where we know somebody needed help, and we're like, I don't have, I don't, I don't want to do that right now. I'm better than that. I can't help them. And so the priest, we see that he is in a position where he feels like he doesn't want to get dirty because he's seen as holy, he's seen as clean, and he goes around the man. And Jesus uses the priest as his first example because the priest gives us the example of a person that feels like they're too good to help. They're up on their high horse. Their excuse is that they they are too high. They're in a position too great to help someone at that status. They're in a position too great to take the time to sit and spend time with somebody in need. And then the second person that comes along is a temple assistant, or this is a Levite. And so we know from Scripture that, that the temple assistants were of the Levite tribe, and, and this was a class of people, right? This was a family tree that was passed down the role of being a temple assistant. And it says in verse 32, a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So the Levite is a little bit different than the priest. The Levite recognizes the need. The Levite even walks over to where the need is at assesses the situation, but then he still chooses to keep walking. And sure, he doesn't have the social status of a priest, and and maybe he's not too good to help because, I mean, his whole life work is, is being an assistant. And so you would think that he was good at helping, but but maybe he has the excuse of too busy, right? Or maybe he doesn't have the right equipment, or, or maybe he has this, or maybe he has that. And, and this is the issue with it is we read a story like this, And we start to build excuses in our head as if we were in the story and we say, I can understand why he didn't help because he had this excuse. But but we don't find that in Scripture because Jesus intentionally leaves out any kind 
of excuse. Jesus doesn't say that they were in a hurry. Jesus doesn't say that they were in a rush to get to Jericho. They were just moseying along. And so the temple assistant continues to pass, even though he got an up-close look at what was going on, even though he was able to assess the situation and see that this man was half dead. But Christ leaves no room for excuses in either case, for the priest or for the temple assistant. Jesus gives them the perfect opportunity to help someone. He gives them the perfect opportunity to, to be a helping hand, to be a servant, but they choose not to. And we often see the need just like the temple assistant. We often see the need coming up in the distance just like the priest, but then we talk ourselves out of helping because we don't have the time or, or we don't have the resources or we don't have the money or we don't have the energy or, or we don't have the, the two-person mule to carry the person back to the end, right? We, we build up these excuses and we build up these things that keep us from being a servant, but Jesus says, no, no excuses in your story. I didn't build that excuse in your story. And so we feel like we're valid in not helping because we have believed an excuse, but, but Jesus tells us that our excuse is not valid. And so finally, the Samaritan comes along in verse 33. He says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And I just want to stop there because I think it's so important for us to realize that the motivating factor for the Samaritan to stop was not that he had anything in common with him. It wasn't that they were from the same place. It wasn't that they were from the same tribe or that they were the same color or that they were, had the same job or that he was married to his sister-in-law's ex-husband's wife. It wasn't any of that. It was that this man felt compassion for him. They didn't have any common interests. They didn't have a common culture. They weren't even from the same town, but this man had compassion for him. The Samaritan didn't care how he got there. He didn't care what happened before. He didn't question him or judge him on how he got and the spot that he was in, he just saw a need, and he was willing to do it. He used what he had. That's, that's a big part of what Christ says here. He doesn't specifically say that he ran and, and went to a town and grabbed everything that he needed, but the Samaritan used what he had to soothe the wounds. He put the man up on his own donkey, and when he realized that the man had needed more help, he went to get him more help. He didn't say, look, man, this is what I've got. Sorry, hope the next person can help you out. He said, this is the extent of everything I have. Now I'm going to go and help you find more. And so Jesus ends the parable, and I imagine that there's a little bit of an awkward silence there because the expert didn't get the answer that he wanted. And Jesus again turns the tables and asks him this question in verse 36. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandit? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus simply says, yes, now go and do the same. And so I think it's important for us to look at these three characteristics and maybe not put ourselves in a category, maybe not try to build a box for ourselves and add another person in the category saying, well, I'd help on Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, but then Tuesdays, Fridays, I don't know. But it's important for us to see that the Samaritan wasn't any more prepared to help somebody than the priest or the temple assistant. He didn't go skipping through the wilderness looking for somebody to help. He was just available and he was compassionate. And so the law expert got the answer, but it wasn't the one that he was looking for. And it certainly wasn't faced to him in a way 
that he wanted it because Jesus shows him and Jesus is showing us through this story that our neighbor is certainly everyone. And we probably all knew that from Sunday school. But the other part of this is that we aren't just called to help our specific class or our race or our culture. We're called to help and to love everyone to our potential. See, the pastor or the priest and the, and the temple expert, they would have been able to help the man in a different way, and that would have been okay because it was helping in the way that they could. So when the expert asked Jesus who his neighbor was, I believe that, that the expert probably had a moment where he was saying, I'm open to helping somebody. I'm available to helping somebody in my turn. If it's available to me in my time slot, if it's available to me in my workings, if, it's, if it works in with my schedule, I will help that person. I think a lot of times we do the same thing. We say, I'll help you. Can, can you come meet me? I'll help you. Can you come to where I'm at on Tuesday at 4, and that's the time slot I have? Right? We, we say, I'll help you. I'll do whatever you need. Meet me Monday morning at my office or at my house, and I'll give you 15 minutes. Right? Like we, we oftentimes want to help somebody or say that we want to help somebody, but we build it on our terms. Maybe we're willing to help. Maybe we do have compassion for a person. But then sometimes we, we're like the expert, and we say, to what end? Right? We say, where's the off-ramp? We say, yeah, I'll help you. Let me know when that time frame will stop. We say, yeah, I'll, I'll help you for two weeks max, and then if it's still in that situation, see you later. Right? We have terms on our help. We have terms on, on us lending a hand to other people. And the Samaritan decided that none of those things mattered to him. None of the terms mattered to him. None of the excuses mattered to him because it was important to him that he just did what he could. It wasn't important how the man got here. It wasn't important how convenient it would be to help the man. It wasn't important how, how incredibly uncomfortable it would be to, to let another man ride your donkey while you walk him into town. What was important was that another child of God was in need and that he was willing. And see, we often excuse our way out of helping others, but we fail to see that Jesus didn't use an excuse when he helped us. We love to, to use an excuse and, and, and play our way out of a situation. Some of us are experts at that, but Jesus could have done it, and he didn't. See, when we focus on the excuse or when we focus on the inconvenience or when we focus on the uncomfort of the situation, then we're then looking through the wrong lens at the situation. Because the fact is that we have a perfect Savior to look at as an example. We have a perfect person in the form of Jesus to look at as a, help, a helping, selfless servant. He offered mercy selflessly. He offered grace to us selflessly. And when Jesus was on that cross, at any point he could have said, I don't want to be here. Y'all don't deserve that. And he didn't. And so not only is Christ the perfect example, but he used a person like a Samaritan to show us that it doesn't matter the race, it doesn't matter the class, that everyone is a child of God, even the people that we sometimes build up hate and we sometimes despise in our minds shouldn't be our enemy. That is also just a child of God. And so Jesus, just like the Samaritan, or, or the Samaritan just like Christ, was willing to pay it all was willing to give everything that he had just for an opportunity to be with us. 
Christ was willing to do anything he had to do for an opportunity to get us better, to help us, to, to save us. And as I was studying this parable, I, I couldn't help but to think back on a lot of the times that I would missed opportunities. Right? I think it's natural, at least it's natural for me to, to think about things that, that Christ does for me and think about all the times that I messed up. Right? Think about all the times that I missed out on an opportunity or that I used an excuse to get out of a situation. But the thing is that, that Christ didn't teach this parable and that we don't hear this parable so that we can just look back and say, dang, I missed out on that. He teaches these things and, he, and he, he teaches us about the Samaritan so that we can move forward knowing in full confidence, just like the expert was confident in his answer, we can be confident in the answer that we are all made as children of God. And so in the times that, that I've excused my way out of helping or in the times that I've lost uh, in, in looking back at, at what I didn't do or looking back at where I didn't help, I'm wasting my time. Because, see, the point of this parable isn't for us to look back and not do anything moving forward. It's for us to recognize our neighbors, not by our proximity or not by our class or our status, but it's to recognize other people by their creator. And if we know who their creator is, then we know that they, too, are a child of God. See, the thing is that, that when we look through the lens of somebody as a child of God and and when we don't judge them based off their class, and when we don't judge them based off their race or their social status, then we understand that, that we too have been in a similar situation where we just needed help. And sure, help looks different. Yeah, we all understand that, that I need help different than you need help, but it's still help. And again, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about some families in our church. Most of y'all passed uh, through the main door. I'm hoping all of you came through the main door because it's the only one that's open. But... Um, there's a big wooden box on the front porch. And if you don't know what it is, we did a, a coach, I say we, two uh, men, or maybe more, two men I know for sure in our church put together a coat drive um, for the homeless people um, living under the bridge in Tyler. And, and so whenever they first started the coat drive, I was like, man, this is a, a, a great, great thing. Like, this is fantastic. And I thought, we, I, I don't know how many coats we'll get, four or 400, who knows? But I was invited to go and help, and, and I was asked if I wanted to go and pass out coffee and, and coats and pants and all the things, and so I went. And, and I didn't know what to expect because I would never been there before, and we set out tables. And uh, I don't really know where all these people came from, but when we got done setting up tables, I looked up, and there was a line to the end of the bridge. I mean, it was insane how many people showed up, and it was because two people felt compassionate about a situation and they were willing to do something. They were going to show up even if there was four coats. They were going to show up if there was two pairs of socks, but what mattered was that they were willing to be there and they were compassionate. As I got to sitting back and thinking about that situation and what really happened, those two families could have used any excuse in the book to get out of that situation. I mean, between those two families, I think they have 22 kids. It's, it's insane the amount of excuses they could have used to get out of that situation. They could have said they were too busy. They could have said they didn't have enough resources or they didn't get enough coats or whatever it was. And, and we had like 12 coffee cups for seven gallons of coffee, but it was okay because we were there. We, we gave them what we had. We offered the help as far as our help could go. And, and I certainly wish I could take credit for that idea, but I can't because sometimes I'm selfish. 
And sometimes I think about my excuses. And sometimes I think about how long it'll take for me to set something like that up, and, and I don't know that I can give that much. But the truth is that I'm called to help. When I see a need, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how much I can give. What matters is am I willing to give it? And I just want us to look through the lens that, that every person is a child of God. It doesn't matter how they got under that bridge. It doesn't matter where they came from to get under that bridge. They, too, are a child of the king that we serve. Shouldn't they deserve some respect? Shouldn't they deserve some help from people that love the king that we want them to love? And so as we close and as we go out of these doors, I just, I just want us to imagine for a minute what it would look like if even half of this room was willing? What if all of us and, and even our kids and our families were willing to go and, and do what the Samaritan did for that man and go and do what these two men and these families did for those people under the bridge to just give what they had, to leave the excuses at the door and just to say, I'm going to give what I have. I'm going to do what I can to help someone else. Because I know it didn't only just impact those homeless people. It impacted me as well. Helping is infectious. Serving is infectious, especially when you do it with compassion and willingness from the Lord. So as we go throughout our week, I pray that you would just look through the lens of everyone is a child of God, that you would look through the lens of, of how can I serve, how can I help in this situation, even if I don't have the end-all, be-all fixed, how can I serve in this situation? Y'all pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, that you give us parables. Father, I love parables because I'm a visual learner. Maybe it's just because I'm not smart enough to, to understand everything in text. But, Father, I know that you give us stories and you give us pictures of Scripture so that we can learn a valuable lesson not only in who you are, but how you would have us to help and to love other people. So, Father, I pray that as we go into this baptism and as we go into this the rest of the day, Father, I pray that this would weigh heavy on our hearts, Father, that again you would confirm and that, and that you would convict us of things in our heart that you've been stirring up for a little while. Father, I pray that as we leave this space, Lord, that we would be looking through the lens that you always wore, through the lens that we are all a child of God, through the lens that we are all a person, a human being made in the image of God. So, Father, we love you, and we ask that you would give us opportunities to serve, give us opportunities to help. Father, help us make those clear in our heads, and help us to just leave the excuses at the door. Father, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.